to right at the resurrection, right after the resurrection. Scripture tells us that that very day, two of the disciples, this is in Luke 24, starting a little earlier than what you have before you, they were headed to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, it was a good little walk, they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were discussing with one another, Jesus himself drew near and went with them on the walk. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you, with each other as you walk? And they stood still. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these past few days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since all these things have happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they got there, they didn't find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. And so he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did, our, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And God, God bless the reading and preaching of his word. As I was trying to say before, that, that we're in the middle of a mini-sermon series, a set of mini-sermon series, this one about worship. And worship is fundamental um, to, to how we want to orient in the world. We are a worshiping community transformed by God's grace into faithful servants of all. And if we had a philosophy, my, my, my kind of JV uh, philosophy of ministry graphic design tree up, it would have that worship, transformation, and service in there. It's the practices, yes, skills. Uh, uh, in earlier documents, it, we had things that said, corporate worship of the triune God will fuel and form the entire life of the body of Redeemer. But it's interesting, that, you know, um, there aren't, we, we don't necessarily do a lot of teaching about what we do all the time. And so I want to do that. That's what we're doing in the middle of this service. And we're right in the middle of the five, of the five uh, C's that we talk about a lot, and that is in consecration. Now, the C's are called by God, cleansed by God, 
consecrated by God, commune with God, and commissioned out to God. And all of that is the sixth C of that's what we do when we celebrate in a worship service. So there's actually a little flyer or a little chart. I put it. It's got scripture verses and everything uh, back there if you guys want one just to do some further study of. But like music and singing, even though the word is weird, consecration, it's the thing we're most used to if you've ever been in church places. Everybody has a sermon or some reading of the word or preaching or something like that. But sometimes when we're that familiar with it, we don't actually know what to expect during those times. So, we just read one of my all-time favorite scriptures, and it was literally Jesus talking about Jesus in all of scripture. So I'm actually going to spend two weeks on consecration. Um, And so I'm not going to cover all the passages in our uh, bulletin today. Mostly hang out in this passage and then a little bit from 2 Timothy. So what is consecration? By the way, typed it concentration. I typed it all wrong so many times. If you were a church nerd, having a church nerd heard discussion, consecration would have just two kind of distinct categories in the scriptures. One you might consider definitive consecration. Consecrating the firstborn of Israel, Moses says to do when they're getting ready to go into the promised land, to set them apart like we just did in baptism, marked by God's loving kindness and belonging to his people. It's back then often an elaborate ritual. Households were gathered in the mosaic, in the Moses uh, thing I was talking about. Priests would cleanse their garments. A pure bull would be sacrificed and symbolically sprinkled over Israel. But it wasn't just an outward thing. It was to be an inward consecration, to set apart in your own heart and mind for God. Their whole purpose was to receive the blessing of God, be marked off so that they could be a blessing to others. But it was God's doing, and it was definitive, set apart. But there's another kind of consecration that happens in Scripture, and we would call it not definitive, but progressive. It happens over time. In our church uh, documents, our Westminster Standards, they use the term sanctification in a very similar way. It is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. That happens over time, slowly, beautifully, steadily. God forms, consecrates, transforms us. Consecration means holifying, making holy, making us more like him. And the crazy thing is that in his imaginative wisdom, chose a Sunday morning, a worship service, to have it set apart for some time for that consecration to happen to us. And it's in this place, in the sermon, the baptism, the prayers, in that space, that he, he, he rains down his kindness, his, his consecrating kindness to us. And it is a slow and messy process. But it is a spigot of living water for, from which we can drink. So he doesn't just definitively declare us his own, like in baptism. He transforms us more and more as if we actually look like his own. It's a beautiful thing. So in that little space, in these 30, 40 minutes, depending on how long I go, this is what happens. 
for our good and for his good purposes in us. Now, to be totally honest with you, I know very few people who show up on a Sunday morning with any expectation that this miracle junk is going on in the middle. Maybe it's too normal for us. Maybe we need to orient towards trusting him in a different way. I had, I think I had a slide over here of my two favorite pictures. Of, yeah, okay. So um, we either go Homer on this deal, and I don't mean Iliad. I mean Homer, the fam- more famous Homer. Uh, uh, you know, have a hard time staying awake, daydreaming, working that list out for the rest of the, you know. Are we eating, were we eating again? Did I need to go scoop something up? Or what? You know? Forgetting what the message was at all. Or forgetting it was for you. Or, Statler and Waldorf, you got to go back a little bit. you got to go back to the Muppets, and these are my favorite, right? My friend Will Waldorf reminds me that he's a Waldorf. This is when you're picking, a, picking apart the message. Where you're not getting anything out of the sermon, but could it be because you're orienting towards the sermonizer? And not the word, an expectation of it? Perpetually evaluating and perpetually disappointed, or better yet, perpetually trying to figure out how your friend or family person should be listening to the sermon. But the reality is that God uses this space, these 30, 40 minutes, to reorder our realities toward his redemption. And no, not every time is it like, Mind blown. It's rarely that. You can remember ten great sermons in your life, if you're lucky. You have eaten and drank from the living word of God regularly, and it has transformed and shaped you. You can remember five, ten good meals, but you've done eight. Some background to the story in Luke 24. Cleopas, this dude and his buddy, They're walking around the road. It was right after Jesus' death. And they're like, no way. You don't know about what happened. And I don't know how he wasn't recognized. He had some Jesus judo stuff that he was doing. I don't know what that's all about. He says that they were sad. Or it seems that the story shows that they were sad because everything that they expected about what reality was going to be wasn't happening. It wasn't working like they had thought. We thought he was going to be the one who freed Israel. And he's dead. Jesus asked the quirky question. And they're like, well, I can't believe you don't know this, but you know, he went through this kangaroo court. Our own people killed him. Brought him, into Rome, brought him um, to the Roman soldiers who put him on the cross. And there's this weird story about the women seeing these visions and that he wasn't there. And then that couldn't, somebody else couldn't see, and there's rumors about body being stolen. We just don't know what's going on. And they think about what that walk back to Emmaus was like for them. What were they thinking? How were they like, we were so close. It just didn't work. And then Jesus responds to this by giving the greatest overview of Scripture in the history of the world. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the first thing Jesus says 
after the resurrection in them. He reorganizes their reality. He reinterprets it. He reorders it towards the fact that God really is faithful in it. I mean, they had the events right. They were factually accurate. The data was right. They needed something more. They needed to have their realities reordered by the consecrating word of God is what they needed. And that's what he gave them. On a Sunday morning, you can hope, you can expect that somewhere in this 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whenever, depending on who's doing what, that Jesus is trying, that Jesus is making available to you the reordering of the events that have unfolded in your life because of the events that unfolded in his life. He consecrates them via the promises of God in his word. He rearranges their perception of reality to be more aligned to his perception of reality, the only stable reality in the universe. Calvin calls the scriptures, or the consecrating power of scriptures, they're like, they're like spectacles. It's a way we see the world. See, Cleopas and his buddy believed a story. A story what Paul would call later in 2 Timothy a myth. That God was not active in the events in Jerusalem or not active in a way that would bring redemption. They had the facts right, but they didn't have the sanctified, consecrated imagination to put it together. So it's Jesus expounds the word to them. He preaches. And he cons them, consecrates them by preaching this word, by reordering their myth of despair to the power and the promise of God. Against the myths. That's what Paul writes to Timothy later. He says, preach the word in season and out of season. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let me say something that's just true. We all live by myths. There are truer myths and better myths. There is one true mythical reality. But we all make our way by stories how we do it. There's no other way. And it happens in individuals, in individual family stories. It happens in nation states. It happens in, in eras of the world, in millennia. But we all have them. We all live by them. Let me give you two Christ Christian myths. God helps those who help themselves. It's not true. It's a popular myth. How about this one? God won't give me more than I can handle. <laughs> I should just get a list of them. We could just do that. We could rate them. Um, I mean, Cleopas and his companion are in a myth of despair. A myth that had them believe God isn't going to do what he says he's going to do. I get it. We make some serious myths. I've been reading a book about how 
um, during World War II, American Ju Jewish communities, conservatives, Orthodox, and Hasidic were responding to the Holocaust because they needed an uplifting story. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, and the American Jews at the time went to significant extremes. The Orthodox wanted to create Palestine. The Hasidics were like, there's no way we're doing a secular Jewish state. But it was all tied to the way they read the myth. The myth of God's faithfulness to people, to Israel. Super interesting. We all have myths that are somewhat true and somewhat false. But y'all, the modern church in America is a lot like anybody else, living by a lot of false myths. You know Christian nationalism is a myth, right? And if you don't believe me, look at Ukraine and Russia. Look at Hutu and Tutsi. They're all people who are creedally Christian, vying for a nationalism. I'm not saying anything about being patriotic. You did not hear me say that. But so is synchronizing Christianity with all sorts of Western ideas. If you don't believe me, just hop on social media platforms. They'll even create algorithms to get you to continue in your myths. We live in a myth-making world. And it's usually tied to mythical despair or mythical triumphalism. Which means it's always tied to a world where Jesus is not actually our king and sanctifier. Let me take it a little deeper, a little more personally, a little more. I just got back from two weeks of intensive therapy for PTSD. All of the grief and trauma of the past few years. My body, literally my body, soul, and emotions were in sometimes believing very different myths about it all. The whole purpose of my therapy was to reorder towards this redemption. To reorder all the things I was experiencing in light of the scripture. To be consecrated before God. It was truly like a, a reintegration of flailing internal parts with a reintroduction to Jesus at the center of it. It was hard and beautiful. But you know where it started, actually? The way the Lord used it to consecrate me was actually just a few weeks ago when Justin Edgar preached on Psalm 142 and the way that affected me and my family. Go back, listen, read it to yourself. Use Murph's words, I dare you. Amanda listens to the scriptures every single night now from Psalm 143. Justin brought the word to bear, and the Spirit consecrated our family, reordering our hearts in troubled times. I can't stop reading that. It's what prepared me to do some of that work. That's the consecration of God in the middle of a worship service, 30 minutes on a Sunday. Paul is telling Timothy, look, everybody is vying for myths that will make meaning in their life. You know they're all around. You're only a victim, or you're only a victimizer. You're only a sinner. You're not sinned against. You're only sinned against. You're not a sinner. 
Autonomy is freedom. Do what you want. Achievement makes you lovable. Conformity makes you tolerable. I have messed up too much to be loved. I'm too broken or too damaged, too sinful or too selfish. I am alone. I'm alone because no one wants to know me. These are myths that we all struggle with. We operate out of them all. And what Jesus is doing is saying, let me tell you the true story. Let me tell you the true story. Yes, it is a broken and battered world, which is why I had to come and suffer for your sins and the sins against you. And I have come to bring redemption to bear. In all of Scripture, and all of history are leading to that reality. Let that order your world. Y'all, the gospel in this story is, I mean, everywhere. But these guys were literally wandering and foolish. And Jesus walks alongside of them and consecrates their reality by reordering them towards his own redemption, which means that this is the good news. You can be a fool in your myths and a wanderer in your myth-making, and Jesus' consecration on a Sunday morning is grabbing your face in love and moving it towards his and saying, this is reality. Out of this reality, you can move forward. You can walk. Because yes, we're going to accumulate all sorts of passion-driven people to tell us something different. Again, typically in despair or triumph. But we have the suffering servant who is king and lord and washes people's feet. He reorders our pleasures, our myths of happiness, our passions of certainty, or missed, if we just knew enough, then we'd be okay. And we could take care of our family and our stuff or whatever it is. That moral goodness is really about more knowledge. Remember, they had all the data. They needed Jesus to walk them through the story. Yes, it necessitates a form of humility. But when it's Jesus talking, his kindness, his ways, his love, we can hear it as the hymn, one of my favorite Christmas carols. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. The whole, holy, holistic recreation of all the broken things in this world is part of the story Jesus is telling. That's all of our junk all the junk done to us. And he's saying that the, the curse has been broken. Behold, I make all things new. Yes, it requires his suffering because of all our sin and brokenness. But the suffering was to get to the glory which he brings. Next time, 
Next time the myths are so powerful. Come to a Sunday morning. Open the scriptures. Whether it's on a Sunday morning or not. And trust, maybe, just maybe, even in a slow messy process, that the Lord is consecrating you, reordering your reality to the story of his redemption. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us let your word cut us to the heart, awaken us to new life, hold our chin up amid the despair, hold our hands down when we want triumph. Give us courage to try again, even amid the slow, messy process. Reorder us towards your redemption, the true story, the one that lasts, that one that has walked alongside of us, that we may walk with you.